This is the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. Hey everybody, this is Freddie Cohen of ESPN Radio. When I'm not talking about breaking news or breaking news on ESPN Radio, I'm always a fan and listening to the Detroit Sports Podcast, and so should you. All I want to know is if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? Thank you, everyone, for downloading another episode on the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. This is the Doc, John Macaroon. You're listening to the One-on-One Podcast, where we get a chance to interview those we find interesting in the world of Detroit sports. And this morning, we got David Hall, Hatchet Man from 97.1, The Ticket, co-producer of one of the top-rated sports shows in all of Metro Detroit. David, thanks for coming in here, having a chat with the Doc, learning about your story. I appreciate your time, man. Thank you for having me, Doc. It's fun. I, it's very interesting um, that you called me um, and text me because I, I love it. This is fun. This is going to be great. Great. Now, we, we do this one-on-one podcast where we get a chance to learn about those that are working in the world of sports here in Detroit. Where did you first get the bug and love of sports? What, what, can you recall <laughs> your earliest memories of sports around town? Were you, were you a guy that was uh, raised up here in Detroit? Yeah, I was raised in Detroit. Uh, my dad was not a sports fan. But I kind of grew up a sports fan, be, uh, loving the Lions, especially the Lions, uh, the Pistons back in the day. My favorite player was actually Grant Hill. So he kind of got me into sports. He was a different kind of guy, and I, I, I became interested in sports. Um, but my uncles were uh, instrumental in me liking sports because we would go all the time. I would go to the games with them. My dad would actually take me to some games, even though he didn't like sports. He would take me to Michigan State, which I'm not a Michigan State fan, but he would take me to Michigan State games. He would take me to Pistons games when I was a kid. And I just grew up becoming to love sports, and I began to talk about it with my uncles, and it, it just grew. Your earliest memories of some things that you recall with the Lions or the Pistons that stuck with you to this day? <laughs> Funny thing you ask, because the first memory of the Detroit Lions is actually – when I really started watching football, about 95, I can't remember how old I was, about 9, 10 years old, uh, with a couple cousins of mine. That was when they were getting ready to play the playoff game against the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, we were just so excited as 9, or uh, they were 8, I was 9 or something like that. We were just so excited all day for the game, getting ready, outside playing football. And then the game began, and it was decent. And then at halftime, it was basically over. So we went back outside and played football. That was my first memory of Detroit Lions football. I guess that's fitting because of Detroit Lions history. But that is my first memory of the Detroit Lions. And you recall there was a lot of talk that, okay, we're going to go in there and handle the business yes. versus the Eagles. And then you're like, dang, that's the performance they put That's up? exactly why we were excited. We said, wow, this is really our first time opportunity to really understand what football is. We were so excited. And then they lost like they did. So growing up, did you develop a love of sports that maybe you thought in the back of your mind that you could maybe have a career in sports? Not initially. I just, you know, played video games, watched sports, and I was just, you know, I liked it. And then I began to talk about it with my with my uncles. And we debated as I grew up. We just debated and debated and debated. And I began to, to, to look at myself and say, wow, I'm pretty strong at debating this with my uncles. You know, they're so much older than me, but I felt a confidence in debating with them. And I just said, you know what? I'm a, I'm a, I love talking about it. Just continue to talk about it. And I, I went further with it. And so then growing up, um, you know, you're still a Lions fan and kind yes. of the misery. And uh, I know we, we came in contact with you because you're friends with one of the podcast hosts here, uh-huh. Jerry Mallory. And in high school, you guys developed a relationship around the fact that one of the best players, the best running backs of all time, Barry Sanders, is like, okay, I'm good. See y'all later. 
Yeah, that was interesting um, because the summer that Barry Sanders retired was 99, uh, getting ready for my ninth grade year. And I was at my uncle's house down in Indiana and breaking news came through on Indiana radio uh, TV station that Barry Sanders retired. I couldn't believe it. I wasn't at home, wasn't able to talk with all my friends, could not believe it. So the first opportunity I really got to talk about it was my ninth grade year, first day of class with Jerry and some of my other friends. And I just, I, cause that was my first opportunity. It happened probably three weeks before school started and uh, began to talk about Barry Sanders with Jerry. And we, me and Jerry, we gained a friendship through talking sports with our friends because the other ones, you know, they talk sports, they kind of knew it, but it was really me and Jerry that kind of knew what we were talking about. So we gained a friendship from that. Now as a youngster, you said you used to bait with your uncles and yes. now I know those uncles aren't going to just let you have That's the advantage. <laughs> what kind of things would you guys get into it with? And do you recall a debate that you guys just went back and forth and maybe still go at, go at it to this day? Barry Sanders. We used to debate all the time. Was it Lions organization at fault? For Barry Sanders leaving, or did Barry really love the game of football? We just debated back and forth about the Lions. And then when the Pistons uh, later on were running, uh, going for a championship in 04, we just debated every, almost every week about the Detroit Lions. I mean, about the Detroit Pistons. Can they win the championship? Are they good enough? Is Chauncey Billups the right point guard for the team? We just debated back and forth, and I just gained the confidence that I needed, that I didn't know I needed at the time, but I needed to then jump to uh, sports radio. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know that the Barry Sanders debate is kind of easy. It's the Lions. It's the organization. Was that the stance you took? <laughs> that is not the stance I took because I was so young. Oh, okay. I was 13, 14 years old. They had a history with the Detroit Lions, the history of them failing, a history of them missing the field goal against the 49ers in the playoffs. They had a history, and I was young, and I said, you know what? No, it's not It's not the Lions. Barry Sanders just didn't love the game of football, but I've, <laughs> I now understand the history of the Lions, and, yeah, it's pretty much their fault. See, that's how we all kind of came up in sports, yes. just, just talking, debating sports, and that's, that's really fun. And so now, as a young lad, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to get an education. Mm-hmm. Where did you end up going to school, and how did you end up uh, starting off a career in radio? Well, when I graduated uh, Cast Tech, I initially uh, started going to Wayne State. Uh, my plans were to become a doctor. My uncle, who I was telling you, uh, I was with him down in Indiana during that summer. He's a doctor. So, you know, I, I saw what he was doing, saw some success, and I said, you know what? I, I, I could do this. I like science. I like, you know, the anatomy, biology, stuff like that. So I said, you know what? I can do this. Then I started going to Wayne State after high school, and I said, you know, I just can't see myself being happy every day going to work to do this, doing surgery or doing things like that. I just couldn't see myself being happy. So I had a conversation with my father, who was a very hardworking individual. I had a conversation with him one day because I knew I couldn't really talk to my mom because she might be upset. She seems to bling bling money when it comes to being a doctor. So I talked to my dad in the, car, in the car and I told him, I said, you know what? I don't want to keep going to Wayne State. He said, well, what do you want to do? You have to have a plan. So I thought for a second. I said, you know what? I love sports. Let me go to Specs Howard and let me become uh, a sports talk radio host. And he said, are you sure that's what you want to do? I said, yeah. He said, just do something that makes you happy. So sports talk made me happy. So I went further, went to Specs, how I graduated, and then I jumped into radio. Okay, so you're, now you're at Specs. Where did you do your internship at? I actually did not do an internship. Oh, okay. I am, I am a rare individual. Okay. I, I, I interviewed for some internships on uh, some urban stations, mm-hmm. and I just did, it just didn't feel right to me. It just didn't feel right to me. So I did not do an internship at Specs Howard at all. I jumped right after graduation from Specs Howard about four to six months later, and I had a job in radio. 
that is unheard of pretty much. You need to kind of do an internship. I didn't do an internship. I just jumped straight into a job. Okay. That's so, that's strange. That is strange. That's that's very good. And maybe it, it speaks to your talents and maybe we'll I guess. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> we'll see we'll we'll uh, hash it out here in the next uh, in the next hour or so. So now in your experiences at Specs Howard, mm-hmm. what kind of led you into, you know, what kind of experiences did you have there that kind of helped you now working in radio? What'd you learn at Specs? <laughs> I learned a lot at Specs. Mm-hmm. Learned a lot of of course about how to do a radio show, mm-hmm. but there was something that was interesting. Uh, every Wednesday we had a 2-hour block or actually the entire uh, evening uh, of class where we had to run a radio station, whether country, I believe it was a top 40 station, some other, a couple other stations. And Wednesday was actually the day where my teacher wasn't there. It was a substitute teacher. So I took it upon myself on one of the stations to actually run a two hour sports show, which I was not supposed to do. I was supposed to keep it to music, but I ran a two-hour sports show during that time at Specs Howard, and that kind of got me ready and prepared me for what I jumped into um, running, because now today, you know, working for 97.1, we do something called producer shows. So there might be two, three hours. So now I'm ready. I'm already prepared. I did that at Specs Howard, something I wasn't supposed to do, by the way. I just did it and have fun with it, and boom, it, it, it propelled me to where I am. Now, growing up, were you a fan of sports radio now? Because you said you came up now in 1995. That's when this thing took off here mm-hmm. in Detroit with WDFN, and uh, and people just gravitated towards it. Yeah, I used to listen to WDFN all the time. I listened to uh, Stoney and Wojo was my favorite show on there on that station. But Sean Belize, I listened to. Um, Matt Derry, actually, I used to listen to all the time. Jamie, I used to listen to. And actually, some of them I work with today. But yeah, I used to listen to them all the time. Uh, when my when I when my sister was in high school, she's eleven months younger than me. I would drive to pick her up with my grandfather every day, and we would listen to WDFN every day, uh, going to pick up my sister. So listening to that really got me. It, and it, I debated a lot of things that they debated on that radio show. I debated with my uncles. They would bring up things about the Pistons. They would bring up things about Bear Sanders, the Detroit Lions. I debated that. I just went and took everything that they did and went to my uncles and we debated it. So listening to WDFN and Stoney and Wojo was was big for me. So what made Stoney and Wojo a show that you gravitated towards? What did you like about their program? They were entertaining, man. They were very entertaining. Wojo with his jokes, the way he did things, the the bits that they had. And then they had the interaction with uh, Matt Derry on that show. Just they were very – they were different – from the usual A, B, C, we talk about this and then we'll move on. They had entertainment in their show. And that was different from other shows. Much different from other shows. As a teenager, maybe a young lad, did you ever call up the station, try to get on the air, do your thing, give, give some opinions? I, I did not. I, was, I, <laughs> I had to be probably 12 to 15 when they were really in their prime. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was too nervous. I was too nervous. I was too scared. I thought that you know what I had to say didn't matter, or it wasn't going to make it for the for make good radio. So I just you know debated my uncles all the time. See, yeah, I'm a little bit older than you. So at the time when they were doing their thing, I was at uh, uh, 18 years old, 18 mm-hmm. to 21. So I would call up on the segment, "What's your beef?" That just yes. fit, that fit into <laughs> what I liked. It was just simple. Just tell me what you complain about. Uh-huh. Try to make it funny. And uh, I got lucky one time and. Uh, Came up with a nice, uh, nice rap, nice, uh, nice spiel, and mm-hmm. won a won a chicken wing contest down in Southgate with Sweet. ten of my friends. So yeah, Stoney and Wojo had a lot of influence on a Sweet. lot of people. And yeah, they see, did. Had a lot, of influ- a lot of influence on yourself mm-hmm. as well. Your expects how were you thinking? Okay, I want to work in sports radio. What were some of your initial goals? What kind of things were you thinking about that you wanted to do in in this crazy field of sports radio? I want 
I wanted to have my own show. You wanted your own show. Now it's kind of funny when you when you hear that because you coming out of Specs Hour, you're gonna you're gonna get your own show right away. But I wanted my own show right away. Um, but going, you know, initially actually actually graduating from Specs Howard, you know, you're not gonna get your own show right away. So I just worked hard. I've I actually started working at Smooth Jazz straight out of Specs Howard, and I worked in the promotions department. That has really nothing to do with being on the radio. But I was in the promotions department. I worked hard uh, doing events there with Smooth Jazz. And then about mm, three, four years later, I believe, I jumped over to 97.1. Not initially to the programming department. I was on their street team. And then I jumped up to being on, on the promotion, I mean, on the programming side. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I still want my own show. I, I, that's what I want to do one day. I want my own show. I'm going to kick Terry and uh, Mike to the, <laughs> to the side. I'm going to take over. I want my own show. In the promotion side, when you first start off at a radio station, what mm-hmm. kind of assignments do they have you do? What kind of things do you do to promote a radio station like Smooth Jazz? Oh, with Smooth Jazz, we uh, did the uh, the Jazz Fest in Southfield there. We did the Monroe Fest down in Monroe. Uh, we did a lot of appearances at certain uh, restaurants like uh, Chicken Shack, things like that. Uh, a bunch of signage we would put up. We would be at pretty much every Jazz Fest that you would hear in the area. The Canton Jazz Fest, the Taylor so, I can't even remember some of the other ones, but every or any jazz fest that you would hear in the area, that's where we would be. Give out interactions, talk to the fans. CD, just- they would have smooth jazz CDs. We would sell those. Um, and actually, it was a fr- me and a friend of mine, uh, we made a goal when we went down to the Monroe Fest one time to sell everything. Now, we had boxes full of CDs. We sold every CD. I think we all made over $1,000, me and him, selling those CDs. But, yeah, we uh, we would sell CDs. We would give away um keychains, uh, T-shirts, things like that. Whatever they would have for us to give away, we would give away. Yeah, now you start to realize, okay, when you work in promotions, you're working with a team. Exactly. How was it in the team environment? Did you have some <laughs> characters that kind of thought that, man, I'm in promotions, kind of slacked off, or you oh, maybe yeah. had to kick some butt? What was it like oh, working yeah. in promotions with a team there for the first time? A lot of people that were lazy, um, and I consider myself a leader, so I would you know, tell them about themselves being lazy. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it actually prepared me to jump on the radio because you're interacting with fans every time you go out. And then, you you know, with the team that you're dealing with, sometimes you have to tell them, do this, do that, or you don't have to kind of come together in order to accomplish that goal for that event. So Yeah, it's, it kind of makes sense. You would think that in promotions, you want to have a good attitude. Yes. You want to be, a hus- you want to be hustling. You want, yes. you want to be out there interacting with the people. Get as much of the, of the products that you want to give out. Exactly. With that, was it 98.7 you said? Yes. A lot of 98.7, a lot of 97.1. And there's a lot of, there was a lot of older fans. So that, that sh- that you had to learn patience <laughs> with some of those older listeners because they would come up to you. They, all they want is free things. So they would come to you multiple times because they want a T-shirt, <laughs> then they want the pen, then they want the keychain, then they want the CD. They want the CD for free, but the CD wasn't free. Right. So, you know, you have to learn patience when you're dealing with those kind of listeners. Okay, so you did promotions for three years for 98.7, and then you get an opportunity. You probably see that there's an opening maybe in promotions at 97.1. Yes. Are you jumping like, okay, this could be it? I, I tried to get in with 97.1 a year before, but there wasn't an opening. They said, you know, we'll just keep you here for right now. But then, I, yeah, the opportunity came, and then I jumped to it because I knew that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be on radio, of course, but at least if I get over to that building, if I get over to that station, maybe someone will hear me. Maybe someone will, you know, say something to me and then I could jump up. It didn't happen right away, though. But I went over there to the promotions team, you know, did did the dirty work there with some of our uh, uh, fantasy football events. Opening day, of course, Tigers opening day. 
uh, Lions games, you know, all all the kind of dirty work going out interacting with the with the fans and the listeners, which was much different than ninety eight point seven because these are sports fans here. Now they're passionate. They think that because you have the t shirt on that says ninety seven one that you know everything about sports. So now you have to have somewhat of opinion, which I did, of course, but not everybody. So you have to interact with the listeners and uh, all the time at all these events. They expect you to know everything. There's some trivia games with these people. You know, it was just, it was a fun time. Yeah. And you did it said for three years. So obviously you had that passion, you had that drive, mm-hmm. and then you get the opportunity now to get into programming. How did you make that transition from promotions into now are you pestering management i want this opportunity are you emailing <laughs> how are you getting into saying because like i said relatively speaking your track is a little bit different than most yes whereas you hear a lot of people say you know you got to pay you know hit the pavement do a lot of work maybe go off to small towns like albany new york or yes. far away to become like a you know a big fish in a small pond right. in order to get into this game how did you make that trek up into programming uh well initially i didn't email Pro, the uh, the programming director I didn't I didn't even hardly speak to him I just did my job on the promotions team but I think we hit January of one of those years I can't remember and I just told myself how in the world am I going to move up if I don't speak to someone yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I just happened to go in his office one day tell tell him you know my goals my dreams didn't initially move up but at least he knew what I wanted to do then an opportunity came. And I jumped to it, and 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 Is this jumped. Mr. Jimmy Powers. This was uh, this was Jimmy Powers at the time, yes. And I, the opportunity came, and I jumped to it, and I began part time working part time in the programming side, answering phones, you know, uh, running the board, you know, anything. That's what I would do. But I, but, but I also told myself that I have to go beyond. I have to, I have to do the extra. And uh, during you know the Tigers were going in the playoffs a lot. During that time, so I just I did the extra, stayed, didn't even get paid for it, stayed, threw in sound for the Detroit Tigers playoff run, all every, almost every game I was there, not even getting paid, throwing in the sound because I wanted someone to see that you know okay he's he's really trying to do something here, so you know that's what I would do there. So the old adage, you worked hard, you showed yes. enthusiasm, and you finally t- got the gumption to speak to the boss. Because remember, I had no internship. So I'm, now I'm coming in here below everyone. Everyone pretty much that was on promotions or, or already part-time with the programming department had interned there. So they already had a, 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 you know, a foot in the game already. They were, you know, they were ahead of me. So I had, to, I had to show some extra effort. So that's what I did there. Some early work they did was call screening. So yes. you, you get to hear some wild opinions. And your job as a call screener is what? To facilitate on a radio show. <laughs> I see your chuckles. I know you're going to be like, oh, my God, some of these opinions. Well, yeah, some of those opinions are uh, different. Yep. They're interesting. But my job as a phone screener is actually to be the face kind of of the station. You know, not to be mean, not to be rude. Um, that That's what you're supposed to do. Not be mean, not be rude. Just listen to them, you know, kind of determine within the 30 seconds. Okay, are they usable for the radio? Can I put them on or is this someone that just doesn't make any sense? And you can kind of determine it real quick. Um, there are certain guys, as you get a hang of it when you're phone screening, you know, okay, this guy calls all the time, so he knows the, he knows the idea um, how to do this, or, you know, this is new. So let me listen to this guy a little longer to see it's his first time calling. Let me see if he gets it. Um, so, you know, you just have to take, you just have to listen to the person and kind of use your discretion. Yeah, as a phone screener. Yeah, so it gives advice to those who may be younger, maybe yes. 18, 21, who want to call up a radio station, want to get on the ticket, and they want to give an opinion. What should they do in order to get on and be an effective caller to a radio show? Because the callers are, are, are important. They're a yes. piece of the show, and they provide an entertaining aspect. And it's just sometimes you need to know how to do it. 
I would say uh, some advice if you're calling in, if you're young, I would say have a strong voice. Have a strong voice along with your strong opinion. Everybody doesn't have to be yelling. Everyone doesn't have to have a, uh, you know, oh, you know, this is what I, you don't have to yell, but you do have to have a strong opinion. Because this is, this is what I usually do as a phone screener. I will play the devil's advocate. If you have a strange opinion, or even if it's just a regular opinion, I will use the opposite angle to try to argue with you just for a second. Mm-hmm. If you can't argue with me, then you cannot argue with the host on the radio mm-hmm. because they're going to come to you make stronger than I am. So if you can't argue with me a little bit on my um, uh, devil's advocate opinion there on yours, then you're, you're not going to be good on the radio. So kind of have a strong opinion, have a strong voice, and just be confident. Be confident in what you're saying, and then you could probably get on the radio. Now you said you had to be nice, but how did you get the nickname Hatchet Man? <laughs> That's why I laugh when you ask me this question because I am I don't do what I'm spo- really supposed to do. Um, I, I'm not rude. I, I don't really you know yell and go crazy. But I, I just I don't play games when it comes to phone screening. Either you go straight to the point or you're not getting on the radio. That's just that's just how I am in life. Period. Get straight to the point. If you if you're not someone that is strong, if you're not someone that has a strong voice and a strong opinion, then you're getting kicked to the curb. That's just how I am. I'm short fused when it comes to phone screening that's just that's just how i got the name hatchet man well the good news is doc is a thousand percent i've only tried once when you guys had the bit with the uh valenny and foster court there or press conference with valenny uh-huh so called uh, up that, that was fun yeah that's that's a fun bit that's a fun segment so luckily one for one no problems at all got my quick <laughs> vote in and got through to the ticket man it's a great show good stuff <laughs> well i'm glad i'm not one that cut you off there no 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 problem you're the one i spoke to i said hey this is my opinion boom this is my vote you're like okay got right through I was the first one in the press conference. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny you say that because I was um, I have a lot of friends in my church, or whatever girls that consider me their brother. And she actually, a girl actually told me this week that she was out on a date, first date, and a guy says, "You know what? I listen to ninety seven one all the time." And she says, "Oh wow, my brother works there." So she's expecting to be happy, you know. Tell him, and he says, "You know what? I can't stand him. He's an a hole." <laughs> <laughs> he's one of the guys that I cut off and mm. she had no idea. She first got offended, but then she realized, Oh, okay. All right. I get it. That's David. That's what he does. So, you know, I'm glad that I did not cut you off. <laughs> that's right. See, have a take. Don't suck as Some would say, yes. And, uh, if not hatchet, man's going to push that button or just be like, you know, sorry, we can't use that click mm-hmm. dial, t- <laughs> dial tone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So you worked hard. You're doing uh, call screening. Yes. Now you have a chance and your title now is co-producer of mm-hmm. the Lenny and Foster. Now, what is your role with the, with the team now at 97.1? My role now is to just give my opinion. Mike and Terry, they just um, thankfully give myself and uh, Mike Sullivan there the opportunity to express our opinion. You know, we give our ideas uh, before time, or show prep, things like that, topics. We, we give topics. We're, we're allowed, even if there's something that they don't think of, something that they don't see, we're allowed to throw it out there. This is an idea. This is what we saw on the internet. This is what we're hearing. This is our opinion. This is our thoughts. And they they give us that opportunity, and uh, very freely they allow us to do it on the radio. They give us our uh, we we are able to give our opinion, our strong opinion. If it's not strong, <laughs> believe me, Mike and Terry will tell us. They will say, you know what? Nah, maybe next time. 
But if it's if it's strong, we're allowed to give our opinion and go with it. Whether okay. it's the Lions, Pistons, Tigers, whatever it is. Yeah, and on this one-on-one podcast, we like to take a little bit of an inside look for those that don't know what, what goes on for a radio show. So now, on the Valenian Foster Show and most radio shows, there is a show meeting beforehand, before mm-hmm. the 2 o'clock start time. Is it like about an hour, hour and a half beforehand? You just, it just a round table like we're doing here, just sitting down, having conversations about sports? It just depends. Uh, Sully's usually one that goes back there and uh, does a lot of show prep because I'm, I'm, I'm screening, actually, for Carson Anderson before Valenian Foster. So if there's something that... It's really pressing me. I'll, I'll go out there and I'll, I'll, I'll tell it. I'll say, you know what? Johnny Manziel is, is, is doing something crazy again. We got to talk about it. Or, you know, if there's something that's pressing me, I'll go out there and make sure I tell them. But usually we kind of we're now in a groove, I believe. And we could, we could kind of just even on the air, just throw it out there and kind of go with it, even if we haven't talked about it before the show. But pretty much before the show, Sully, they, they talk and they kind of go through some things that we want to do some things that we might do, you know, they just go through it then before yeah. the show. Yeah, now we spoke a little bit before we started today, and you said that really a blessing is you got top-rated hosts yes. at 97.1. Yes. It's a station that's been there. It's established. And these guys, you know, Valenian Foster, do a show from 2 to 6, mm-hmm. and they actually allow you and Sully to have a strong voice. Did that naturally evolve in terms of just a couple interactions that you had and it picked up, or did you go to them and say, hey, you know, is there an opportunity? How did you become more of a, uh on-air voice at 97.1? Well, actually, it was Mike Valenian. He came to me. This is before I was working on their show. He came to me. He said, I want you to work with the show. I said, okay, wow, okay, fine. He actually gave me the nickname Hatchet Man. I guess me working, and he would hear me screening calls, and he would say, you know what? I kind of like that guy. So he came to me and said, you know what? I, I kind of want you to work with the show. I, um, I like your voice. I like your opinions. You're, you're, you're very strong. Um, so I, I want you to work with me so that's that's kind of how i began and i initially i wasn't talking on the radio initially i was just screening the calls because in our old building our screener room was in a whole is it in a different area so i was just screening calls or whatever and then when we moved to our new building kind of had more opportunity to speak and he said you know what if you have something say it don't don't worry about who's going to say this who's going to say that if you have something just say it so that's what we do that's it, and it comes across. You know, I think even Mike even said it on the air. He's like, you know what? We're a well-rounded team now. Yes, you can tell on the air that you guys have a little bit of a cohesion, and you guys are hanging out now. I after the show, <laughs> you're doing having some fun. So really, you know, in order to make a good show, you have to really be yeah, a good do. team. And it sounds like you four are having a lot of fun doing yeah, things. It's, it's a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> not on the radio. We have a lot of fun after the show when we go out, um, interact when we go out to dinner or whatever. We just we have a lot of fun together. You've become a little bit of involved in terms of some bits. One of the funny bits was you and Sully trying to compete as to who could eat the most, you know, uh, cider donuts. Man, you they did that not was a pull bad day. <laughs> they did not pull no punches, man. They brought in a ton of donuts. Where did that idea come from? And you're like, oh, okay, how'd that idea come out? And h- how many did you throw down, man? I think the idea came because of Mr. Young Sullivan. Um, he was cocky a little bit, and he says, you know, I could eat, I could eat a whole lot of donuts. So, you know, I challenged him. I'm never going to go down without a fight. So I challenged him. I said, you can't do it. So they, I think they overestimated, though, because they bought, I think, mm, I can't remember how many donuts. But they bought, it was like four huge boxes of donuts that they, they purchased. Um, and, and when I saw them, I said, okay, I'm good. But then as I began to eat, mm, couldn't do it. It's just It was just too many donuts. But that that was just a fun it was it was fun before we did it. After we did it, it was not fun because of all the donuts I had. I think I had what ten donuts, I believe, or something like that. That's a lot of donuts in a two hour span. It was fun. 
How long did it take you to recover after a date like that? Day? No, it no. actually took me like two, three days. <laughs> two, three days. Yes, it was it was bad, man. It was really bad. No, it was good stuff. So what makes the Lenny and Foster a top-rated sports show? Really, in town, they're known. They've been around now. They've done it well over 10 years. You tell that they have strong opinions, very entertaining. Listening every day, working as a producer, what makes that show top-rated? I think it's the entertainment factor. You can have an opinion, and everybody has an opinion, if whether it's strong or not. Everyone has an opinion on a sports topic. But it's the entertainment factor that I believe uh, makes them the number one rated show. Before me and Sully got there, they were entertaining. So it wasn't us. They were doing it. They were entertaining with, the, with their bits, with, with uh, the things that they would say, the interaction between Mike and Terry. It's just entertaining. And that's what got me in the radio, listening to uh, Stoney and Wojo. They were entertaining. But Mike and Terry have taken it to another level of entertainment. And I think that's what makes them the number one show. Take it to another level in terms yes. of like, you know, funny bits, talking about other things than sports. Mm-hmm. You know, they have strong opinions about what's going on in Flint, the story of the gentleman who passed away, you know, doing some ungodly things. Mm-hmm. And th- th- they just come up with ways of presenting information that's not typical that you go, wow, man. And, and it's, you get the vibe that if you don't listen, mm-hmm. you're missing something. When I think back to when the Kwame Kilpatrick stuff was going on, and I remember Hugh Perkins on Fox 2 read the uh, the text messages, but Mike and Terry decided, you know what, how about we do the same thing? And they, they did it, and, and Terry, I believe, was, uh, was, was the female voice, and they, they had so much fun with that instead of just telling you what the text messages say from a Dead News article. They read them as, as he was Kwame, and he was, and he was uh, I can't remember her name now, but they had fun with it. That's the entertainment factor. Do things different. Yeah, are there other show moments that you recall that stick with you that uh, you know that you can recall and say, you know what, man, this is something special. <laughs> I know with me, me and Sully there. I think the thing that uh, was pretty special was uh, when Sully brought up his uh, his girlfriend situation, and Terry just went off. That was that we didn't even talk about that before the show. That just happened. It was organic, and uh, when when Terry <laughs> told him to basically let the bitch walk. Mm-hmm. That was that was great stuff. Things like that is entertaining. It 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 brings people in that may not even listen to sports, but they they they're listening, and then the everyday stuff comes up. That's the entertaining entertainment factor. And listening to the show, a lot of the challenges in radio kind of are brought up a little bit yes. and talked about on the air. Mike's talked about you know the whole situation, the whole ordeal with the Detroit Lions and things like that. Were you privy to some difficulties with that in terms of taking some of the calls from the Lions or you know trying to get a guest on and they're just like, yeah, sure. Then the time comes and they don't pick up the phone or any challenges like that with the show? I, I, yes, I experienced some things personally mm-hmm. um, with the Detroit Lions, but you know, they do things differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they do things differently. I mean, they they're losing for a reason. Um because they just don't they just don't do things right in my opinion. And uh yeah, I received some calls, actually screening calls. They would they would call in and say, "You well, hold on, such and such, let me speak to it wasn't even Mike and Terry, it might have been uh Gator or or Doug. Um they just had a problem with seemed to be everything. So yeah, we had a lot of interaction with the Detroit Lions and and the problems that they might have had with us. Were there other challenges in terms of things that, you know, we haven't talked about today, you know, in terms of making a four-hour radio show really strong each and every day, five days a week? The tough part with radio is that because of the entertainment factor, you have to try to be entertaining all the time and have an opinion, a strong opinion. Well, there are, there are some dead periods in sports mm-hmm. in the summertime. There's a Major League Baseball All-Star game, and there's nothing going on. Now you're like, okay, what are we going to talk about? 
we we can only talk about the Tigers for so much, and they're not playing right now. No one wants to hear about what they might do in the second half. You can only do that for so long. So, yeah, there are some dead periods in sports where you're kind of struggling, and then there's nothing going on in the entertainment world, or, you know, not, there's nothing going on. So, yeah, there's a struggle there sometimes in the in the dead spots. You've said your dream, your goal is to be on the air talking sports. Yes. Can you recall your first show that you did on the producer show or the first show that you hosted on 97.1? What was that like beforehand, your nervousness or the preparation going into it? Take us through that first show that you did on 97.1 The Ticket in Detroit. Ooh, I think I did that first show with a, with a young man that's not there anymore, Josh Hollop. I was extremely nervous um, because you're not doing it in your home anymore. You're not doing it at, a, at Spex Howard. Now there's possibly thousands of people listening to you. So, yeah, I, w- I was nervous because I critique myself a lot. I'm very tough on myself. So I, I, I want things to go perfect all the time, but they don't always go perfect. So your first show, I was, I was nervous. I wasn't really sure what to talk about. I think it was the summertime. So we were talking Detroit Tigers, I believe, or something like that. And uh, I just wanted to come off like I knew what I was saying, knew what I was talking about. Because you never want to really go on and say some things and then people realize he has no idea what he's talking about. And I can tell. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to make sure I knew what I was talking about because I'm, I'm more of a football fan. But I, I'm a sports overall, but I'm more of a football fan. So when it came to baseball, I wanted to just make sure what I was saying was right. So I was nervous going into it. Um, but we got through it or he got through it. Um, it, was, it was tough for me. He, I let him talk a lot. <laughs> I didn't talk as much. But uh, but we got through it. I I don't even know where that show is. I would love to listen to it one day to hear the difference from then to now. But yeah, it was it was a struggle, but we got through it. Okay, so now you're critiquing yourself. You're listening yes. a little bit, and you say, okay, I probably gotta you know give my opinion, be factual, try to be entertaining, mm-hmm. try to have a good interaction with the callers. How many shows a week now are you doing? You doing still on Saturday evenings once uh, a week or so every so often? Every so often. Okay. Usually I go every. Mm, like every five weeks, I believe, is, okay. is my rotation. Okay. So I'm actually on this weekend okay. with with Mike Sullivan. I don't even know if he remembers, but me and Mike Sullivan are doing another show together. Um, but yeah, every five weeks or so is my rotation. Okay, and a couple hours in the evening, correct? Yes. Okay, so now you're prepping your show and you're doing your thing. What would you, if someone who has listened to a show hosted by Hatchet? What are they going to get? Passion. They're going to get passion, and uh, you better come strong. You need to come strong because if you come on, whether it's midnight or whatever, if you call my show, <laughs> I will. I, I'm I'm gonna jump down your throat if you're wrong. If I don't believe what you're saying, then I'm gonna get at you. But yeah, I, I'm gonna bring passion. I'm gonna bring a strong opinion, and you're gonna bring you. You know, I might laugh a little bit during that show. So we're gonna have some fun. That's all. You want to be on the air. That's a yes. dream of yours. If an opportunity comes a calling, maybe out of state, Cleveland, Florida, some other opportunity. You might take an entertaining look at it or because um, I know you're a Detroit guy. I'm a Detroit guy. Opportunities present themselves to go out of state. Me, I, I just made the decision. You know what? I'm staying here. I'm a Detroit guy. Mm-hmm. I don't care about the weather. I don't care about the lifestyle. I don't care about anything else. I'm a firm I'm a believer. I'm a Midwestern guy. This town fits me. I'm staying in Detroit for whatever opportunities might be out there. You know, the lifestyle in California, Florida, mm-hmm. weather. I'm a Detroit guy. I'm staying. What's your thoughts on that? I'm kind of grounded. I'm, I'm kind of here uh, with, the, with my family. My two boys, my wife, um, my mom's here. You know, everybody is here. All my cousins, pretty much, except for a few of them, are here. So I'm kind of grounded as a Detroit guy. If a giant opportunity comes, though, I might jump to it. But as of right now, I, I see myself staying here in Detroit. Perfect. And now what are your what are your goals now currently? Now you've been at 97.1. You're firmly implanted as part of the team. What are your current goals? I still want to have my own radio show. I want to yeah. make continue 
to, for my name to kind of grow out there and everybody kind of hear who I am, maybe, so that um, I can expand myself outside of 97.1, possibly, may, you know. But uh, yeah, I just I just want to keep keep doing uh, working well with them and just expanding my brand a little bit. All right, let's get into some hot debate because that's what you like to do, and let's get into it. You love football, big news. Calvin Johnson's retiring. Huh, and this yes. is a story that really a lot of people like to talk about because it has so many branches. Yes. Talking about the organization, mm-hmm. talking about player safety, talking about a gentleman who has so much money in the bank, motivation. It has a lot to sink, to sink your teeth into. Yes. Your thoughts on this whole Calvin Johnson ordeal and what's been happening now since the 2015 season ended? Well, my initial thoughts were the Lions organization, they've done it again. They forced the guy out before his time. Um, they've, they ruined his talents, basically. Um, but it's kind of tough when, when you're that big. In order to tackle you, they kind of have to go at your legs. So he's dealing with a lot of health problems. Um, he's, he seems to be walking like a 50-year-old. Um, he, he's, he, he's, he's banged up. Um, and, I, you know, I, initially I thought you know, the Lions organization did it again. But then when you really look at it, you really look at some of the big games he's played in or somewhat big games he's played in, he's damaged. And I think um, he wants to – I think he wants to leave – as healthy as he is now, he can. He's walking as a fifty-year-old, yes, but I think he wants to walk away now so that he doesn't have long-term situations. He's getting married in the summertime. Um, his mother is 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 integral in this decision because I believe she's a doctor down in 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 Georgia, and she's key and she's huge, big about education. And I think he wants to stop playing football um, so he can be healthy, finish his degree, and then do some things with his foundation. Um, because he's big in the community. A lot of people may not understand that. Average fans might not get that. But he's huge in the community, and he's not going to leave the area. He's still going to do things for charity and things like that. But I think he's banged up. He wants he wants to be healthy. Yeah, and then also too, some people say, well, it has to be either or. You know, he wants to walk away because he's banged up, yeah. and then or or it's because the Lions organization is terrible as a whole. I think <laughs> as part of the formula. I think when you just put everything on the table, if the Lions organization was on the precipice of a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. he ain't leaving. I agree. I'm telling you, losing takes a toll on you year after year after year. Could you imagine playing football nine years and losing that much and wanting to get up in the morning and lift weights, getting up early, 6 o'clock? I mean, it's not easy to be a professional athlete. I think the losing had to take a toll. I think it does take a toll um, when you add the injury to it. Because I think if you're right, if they, if they were on the precipice of winning a Super Bowl— Maybe they just lost an NFC title game. And he says, you know what? I'm kind of banked up. I'm not sure. But he'll see that and say, you know what? One more year. But you're right. Losing probably, it may take a bigger toll than actually his health. Because he looks at it and says, why would I get banged up? Why would I continue to get hit like this if I'm not even going to make the playoffs? He, he, he's only played, I think, two games more than the minimum in his <laughs> career. Because the Lions organization is bad. They've made the playoffs only twice only twice in his career. That's not good. And he probably sees it and says, that's, that's a waste of time to injure myself, maybe only play 10 games, 12 games to not make the playoffs again. Losing will take a toll on you. I think it has with him. Yeah, so what's up with our Detroit Lions? You've been a fan since 1995. I think now I hear that there's rumors of a documentary talking about the losing of the Detroit Lions mm-hmm. and the fans. People are starting to say, okay, when you lose for that long, one playoff win in so, what, so many years, 58 or 59 years, you just have a, a culture of, of, of not, not being successful. <laughs> What's up with these Lions? And now, and we'll, I hopefully get a chance to talk about the future, but what, what has gone on with this organization that we all love? When I say this, I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but they are a family-run 
organization. And you could you could do things as a as a family and kind of keep it in the family, but when they they've done it, they're loyal, too loyal to their friends, to their family. When they when they're giving jobs, they just hired uh, Rob Wood. He's a family friend, basically. I was running their estate, so they still kind of are doing the same thing where things stay in house. With with you know, they were too loyal to um, I can't think of his name now. Uh, Matt Millen. Matt Millen. They were too loyal to Matt Millen. They were too loyal to uh, the coach in the nineties. I can't think of his name right now. Wayne Fonts. Wayne Fonts. Thank you. They were they were they were too too loyal to these individuals. And when you're too loyal, they needed to get rid of Wayne Fonts three years probably before they got rid of him. When you keep these guys because you're friends with them, your organization is going to continue to lose because you don't have winning in mind. You have this is a buddy of mine, so let me keep him on. But it's about it, you should be about winning. The Giants organization is a family-run franchise, and they do things differently. They want to win. Whether you're a family friend or not, they got to get rid of you. Tom Coughlin was there for a long time. He won two Super Bowls for them, but they got rid of him because they were tired of losing consecutively and they, they wanted to move on. That's what the Lions organization has never done. They're too loyal. Exactly. They're too loyal. Now, I guess the, the stat that you can look to when you talk about Wayne Fonts is how do you have a coach who has the most wins in your organization as well as the most losses? Think about that. He has he's stuck around long enough to get a lot of wins, but also to have the most losses. That's Come the, on now. That's 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 the problem. They would make the playoffs, the Fords would be happy, and then they would not make the playoffs the next year. They'll say, Oh, that's okay, we'll rebuild. We'll we'll start over again. You can't keep doing that. You kinda have that's the thing with Jim Caldwell, my thing with him was continuity. You you, you kind of need something. He was building something and then they had some injuries this past year. But with Wayne Fonts, they didn't really have too many injuries the years they were losing. They were just bad because the schedule back then, you would have an easy schedule, then a hard schedule, an easy schedule, and they would always fail during the hard season years. You can't have that. You have to build to win long term. They never did that. And you have an organization that goes out, and they tried. You know, In the early yeah. 2000s, they went out and they said, okay, <laughs> maybe a former player, um, a gentleman who had – playing experience, Matt Millen comes in, they tried, but he had no general manager experience. None. So that first five years, I mean, we just did a podcast yesterday, mm-hmm. and we just went over, the, I think, the 2003 draft, Ugh. and we looked at some of the names that went after. I know you, you can say, well, it takes time to develop, but when you have a draft and you're drafting Boss Bailey, R2 Spinner, <laughs> and you start looking at the, the other <laughs> yeah, you start looking at the names, you go... Back in 2003, how did Matt Millen earn an extension after what he put on his record? Because they're too yeah. loyal. Yeah. They felt, you know what, he didn't have experience, but he's kind of gaining the experience. So let's give him an extension and see what he does after that. He, he, he didn't show anything before the extension that was, that was telling anybody, you know what, we're building something. We're moving in the right direction. They weren't moving in any direction. They were actually going further and further down. Matt Millen was awful. They didn't see it, though, because they were friends with him. They liked him in the booth. They liked talking, talking to him about football and his, and his heydays. But they didn't realize he doesn't know how to be a GM. And if you're going to do that, you kind of need to have somebody maybe in there that can kind of teach him, kind of um, uh, mentor him. But they, they never did that. They just liked him as a friend. And they kept him and extended him. That was the worst idea ever because we had 0-16 because of him. That's awful. Because of the the losing, 
the reputation of the organization. A lot of people take on different teams, B teams, and things like that. Some people are lines free. They just say, you know what, this team <laughs> I don't will believe that. This team will never win. Now I look on your Twitter page at Hatchetman971. <laughs> Back in the day, I see a big sign that says Steeler Nation. Yes, it, yes, it does. Have you taken a B team, young sir? <laughs> I, I'm not lions free. I will say that. Um, but I've I've always been a Steelers fan. That's been my second team because you pretty much need to have a second team when you're a Detroit Lions fan. So the, the Steelers have always been my my second team. And then when they made the Super Bowl here in Detroit, and Jerome Bettis, a Detroit guy, retired, won the Super Bowl and retired, that kind of, you know, increased my love for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Because, uh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger was young then, had won a Super Bowl early on. I just felt that that team was going to be a, a team to reckon with for years to come. So I, my, my fandom for the Steelers grew after they won the Super Bowl here in Detroit. But I've always been a Steelers fan. Okay, so you've never really been close to being Lions-free, saying, you know what, no. turning them off, can't, can't deal with the losing. Hey, man, they lose, they lose games where they tie it up and they miss the extra point. They have leads, give up Hail Marys. Things that happen in football, mm-hmm. you don't see around the league. You see with the Lions. Yeah, I mean, because I don't think people understand what Lions-free means. Because these people say, I'm, well, I'm Lions-free. But yet they're watching the games every Sunday. They're calling the radio station to talk about how the Detroit Lions are bad and how the Fords need to sell. But that's not being Lions free. Being Lions free is not watching the games, not talking about them, not discussing anything about the Detroit Lions. That's being Lions free. I can't see myself never watching a Detroit Lions game. I have to watch the Detroit Lions because I need to be able to talk about it with my friends. I might not. I watch the game now and maybe not get upset when they do something crazy or something stupid. But I will watch the games. I can never be Lions free. And same here, man. You just like I said, because there's only 16 games, right. you have a nine-month window to kind of decompress. If yeah. they were all year round, no, I'd be Lions free. I could yes. take that year in, year out. You need that. Actually, we, we got to put an extension to get extra month off for the Lions. I agree. Just, just black out the preseason, let them do their thing, <laughs> and let us come back in September. Give us the extra month. Well, we already get an extra month because they don't make the playoffs. <laughs> so <laughs> There you go. Uh, all right, so after the 2015 season, they go 7-9. and nine. Mm-hmm. They retain Jim Caldwell, but in the middle of the season, they blow out the upper management. Yes. They lose Martin Mayhew, Tom Lewan, and now they go out and they say, okay, another effort. We're going to go out to the organization, New England. Yes. The model franchise, the franchise that you say, okay, what do they do? Because they've been in the playoffs so much, yes. winning, rings. You know, they are the preeminent elite franchise in the National Football League. Yes. Got renewed hope with Bob Quinn coming aboard as a new general manager? I do. Um, didn't really know who he was um, when they hired him. Um, the hope was that he was just the right guy. Coming from the uh, Patriots organization, he I believe he joined that organization the same year Bill Belichick joined that organization. So um, he he learned under the guy that's winning everything now. So you would hope that he brings uh, a winning a, a winning attitude to this organization because they don't have a winning attitude now. So the hope is that he's the right guy and that he does what he needed to do. I'm impressed with what he's doing. He's cleaning house in the in that front office, getting rid of scouts that were there, I believe, for 20, 20 years. So he's getting rid of guys that you that they were too loyal to, that he's he doesn't care. If you're not the right guy, if you don't fit what he wants to do, he's getting rid of you, whether that's strength and conditioning coaches, whether that's uh, college scouts, uh, national pro scouts. He's getting rid of you if he doesn't fit if you don't fit what he wants to do for this organization, he wants to win. Whether he's the right guy or not is 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 yet to be seen, of course, because we don't know the future. We don't know exactly what the Lions organization is going to do years down the line. But it looks good so far. It looks good. He's coming from the Patriots. He's bringing guys also from the Patriots organization. Kyle O'Brien, I believe he just hired another guy and a strength and conditioning coach from that organization. 
So he's bringing people from a winning organization, not just sticking to Detroit Lions. You've been here for 15 years. We're going to keep you. I like the difference that he has in his attitude so far. Okay, and then a couple other points with the Lions. They've decided to keep head coach Jim Caldwell. Yes. Two really polarizing figures, head coach and the quarterback. Your first thoughts on uh, keeping Jim Caldwell and your, your point to those who would say, well, he really doesn't have a track record of long-term playoff success. He, That's he, true. He can keep an organization together. He obviously is a, uh, a leader of men, mm-hmm. obviously a well-respected professional man. But on the field, there are some questions. Oh, yeah, there are some questions. But I, I, my rule when it, when it comes to NFL coaches, I just I just give them three years. That's just always been my rule and my standard for when to fire a coach. Um, he didn't do good in the second year, of course. It was bad early on, but he brought the, the, the locker room back together. That has that says something because if they were one in seven and you, you can easily give up. After London, you come back, that team, they can easily give up and say, you know what, I'm done. We're good. I'm I'm looking forward to where I'm going after the season, whether I'm going to Florida, Bahamas, wherever. I'm going somewhere. I don't even care about the rest of the season. But that didn't happen. He brought the team together. They uh they came together. They didn't give up on him. So that's why I think he deserved another year. But I, I just have a standard of three years. You you really know what a coach is after his third year, and you can decide. Now that bodes well for the Lions because I know everybody says Bob Quinn needed to bring his own guy. But what does it hurt if he waits another year? to get his own guy because you know for sure if Caldwell's good or not he might know it now but he said you know what let's keep him for another year see what he can do whether we'll win or lose they can make the playoffs and lose in the playoffs and he can say you know what you're not right it's all up to him but I think giving him a third year is just fair to every coach any coach not just Jim Caldwell any coach it's fair to give him three years okay and now the other polarizing figure in town Matthew Stafford number nine <laughs> a guy that you could just probably light up you know simple topic what do you think of number nine you're gonna have 50 percent of people say he's my guy I'm rolling with him he's the best we've ever seen mm-hmm. and the other 50 percent will say you know what it doesn't take a dozen it doesn't take 10 years a decade to get into the playoffs and get a win <laughs> what does Hatchet Man think of number nine Matthew Stafford um <laughs> it, I, I'm kind of in the middle People think that I'm this Stafford supporter. I'm not really a Stafford supporter, but I do believe that he's good. I really believe that he's good. Um, I, I, when you when, say he's good, don't you have to account for wins and losses in the big time da- you, in the dance? You do, but you have to understand when he joined this team, they were 0-16. That was the year after the 0-16 season. So you're really a franchise, uh, 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 a new franchise, basically. So he came from 0-16. They were gonna, they weren't gonna win 10 games his first year. So they struggled to even build a roster to even come close to winning. And when they made the playoffs in 2011, that was three, four years after they went on 16. So it took time. That, that, French, that roster was bad. Matt Millen didn't do anybody, didn't do that Lions organization any good. They didn't have any talent. The free agents he brought in were bad. The draft picks he brought in were gone. They were, they were, they were horrible. So when you bring in a guy after the on 16 season, he's not going to win right away. So I've looked at his record from 2011 on. He's decent. Yes, he still hasn't beat uh, a winning team. Actually, no, they beat the Packers this year. So he's beating a team with a winning record finally. But um, I think Matthew Stafford is a decent quarterback. You don't need to have a Hall of Fame type quarterback to win a Super Bowl. I mean, Joe Flacco. I mean, Trent Dilfer. So you can win a Super Bowl without a Hall of Fame type guy. I just think that he's a decent guy. Um, he's not a game manager like Alex Smith. He can make plays. If he doesn't turn the ball over, it's the key for him. I think he's decent. I think he's good enough for this team. 
You see playoff wins in his 30s. You think he's going to be the guy that's going to be afforded the opportunity to take control of this franchise, be here for the next decade, and have success. Because, really, you've given him a top wide receiver. You've given him pieces all around. You're trying to build the line around him. You've tried to do everything to make it perfect for Matthew Stafford. It's eight, nine years into his career. A lot of younger quarterbacks are doing a lot of things now. You can look at Cam Newton already in the Super Bowl yeah. with Ted Ginn Jr. and <laughs> maybe Greg Olson and not much else with maybe Jonathan Stewart. Do you see success if the Lions attach themselves to arguably the franchise quarterback, Matthew Stafford? I don't. I, I really then don't. you have to let him go. You have to let him go, man. See, I don't, I, don't, I don't think you do because I think you're fine with keeping him one more year at least to kind of see what you have. Because if Calvin Johnson is gone, you know who Matthew Stafford is. So I think you have to give him the opportunity to see who he is without Calvin. If he blows up, then cool. That's exactly what you wanted him to do. But you kind of need to see what he is without Calvin before you let him go. That's why I'm fine with him staying one more year. But this is the key year for him. I mean, I've said that pretty much every year for the last three years. But this is an important year for him, especially if Calvin retires. If Calvin retires and he only has Golden Tate and maybe whoever they draft and then TJ Jones... It's it's going to be integral to see what they do with him this year because um I, I'm a I've always argued people say you know who makes who makes who does Stafford make Calvin does Calvin make Stafford and I've kind of looked at the argument when it comes to Joe Montana Joe Montana and uh, Jerry Rice and who made who Joe Montana was actually great before Joe, Jerry Rice got there so I, I mean I don't really know when it comes to Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson is Calvin actually had a decent year without Stafford. But we really don't know what Stafford is without Calvin. So we'll see that maybe this year. I mean, I hope Calvin comes back. But we'll see what we have. But I, I don't think, I really, I don't know if he'll succeed. I really don't know. Okay, Hatcher Man has the patience of Job. He's ready to stick out Matthew Stafford one more year. I, yeah. pre- I can appreciate that. I have too much patience, I think. <laughs> I just talked about the fours having too much patience and being loyal. But I think I'm the same way, kind of. All right. Now, before we get out of here, I, I want to appreciate your time. David Hall, Hatchetman971, the ticket. You can find him and support him at Hatchetman971. And you can hear him uh, weekdays, Monday through Friday, 2 to 6 p.m., 97.1 FM, the ticket. A great sports program. Really a can't-miss sports program. Some quick hitter type things. American or Lafayette? American. Why? <laughs> I just I like actually their dining room. So their dining room is bigger, I believe. So I, I just like that. Okay, Barry Sanders or Emmitt Smith? Who's the better running back? Uh, Barry Sanders, of course. Oh, don't get me started with that Emmitt Smith stuff. Emmitt Smith had a great offensive line. He really, to me, wasn't a great running back. He just had a wonderful offensive line. And I get sick and tired of an uncle of mine who actually is a huge Dallas Cowboy fan always arguing that Emmitt Smith was the best. Barry Sanders was the best running back in that era. The blessing of being a Detroit sports fan growing up in this town is we've won titles. You can see some of the posters are here in the room. Mm-hmm. What, what title did you really get emotionally invested in your favorite title maybe that you've seen now in your lifetime? 2004 Pistons. When they won that title, um, I was a year out of high school. So I, I, I was uh, impressed with uh, Chauncey Billups and company and the way Big Ben on the defensive end helped defense. He was the best help defender probably, well, in my lifetime, I know, but maybe the NBA um, that was a wonderful team. And then they went back to the finals in 05 and broke my heart when Rasheed Wallace left Robert Ory open for a three. But the 2004 Detroit Pistons, that was that was big. That oh, was big. Okay, real quickly, you like the direction of the team? I mean, it's basically a 500 team. Everyone's saying, man, they're young. They need, you know, they've tied themselves now probably to Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond. You happy with the direction? I am happy with the direction, but they need to find out who that leader is on the court. 
whether it's Andre Drummond so or Reggie Jackson. I don't, I don't know. That's the thing. Um, Reggie Jackson kind of showed me something last night because he was dealing with dehydration. Um, but um, he he came through and was clutching the fourth quarter when they needed him. So uh, maybe Reggie Jackson's becoming that leader, but they just need to figure out who the leader is on the court. Yeah, but David, we don't play the Brooklyn Nets every night, man. We need to show. <laughs> That's true. Can you show me versus some like Cleveland you know, and yeah, uh, San Antonio and the Pacers yes. and the Toronto? Yes. Come on now. We're not playing Brooklyn every night. <laughs> <laughs> they're bad, man. You, they make the playoffs this year? Yes, they will make the playoffs. Okay, that's good. I think they're in there. I think so too. I think, you know, in the NBA, when you have a guy like Stan Van Gundy, he's the president, he's the boss. Mm-hmm. You, you know, in the past, the Pistons had some things like, you know, personality issues with the coaches. You know, they could p- potentially take advantage of, you know, their stature in the game. And so mm-hmm. now I like the fact that Stan Van's the president, he's the boss. They're not going to go around him. He's going to set the tone. And now we'll get a chance to see a, a young, up and coming team, see what they're going to do. What's weird about the Eastern Conference is I believe they're. In the eighth spot currently, but they're two and a half out of the third spot. It's wild. So it's a weird Eastern Conference right now. It's wild. Okay, we'll get you out of here on this. All right, you got four tickets. You can take three people, famous, dead, alive, friends or family. You can go to any venue, any any sporting matchup. Where would you go? What sporting matchup would you like to see? And who would you take with you? Wow. Four tickets. Huh. So you take three people. You're going to go, and you're going to take three people with you anywhere you want, any venue, any era, and you can take someone famous, dead or alive, friends or family. Who would you roll with? What would you want to see? I, I'll, just, I'll just stick with my wife and my kids. I would, I would probably go to uh, next year's Super Bowl, Super Bowl 51, where the Lions are going to be in it. So, <laughs> so I'll, uh, I'll probably go to a Super Bowl. My oldest is becoming a big football fan. Uh, he loves Cam Newton. Um, so I think I would take them to the Super Bowl. Hatchet Man's a dreamer. He sees the Lions in the Super Bowl 51. <laughs> he wants to be on the radio. He wants to do his thing. He spent an hour with us sharing stories, telling, you know, about working at one of the great radio stations in town, a long-term radio show, Valenian Foster, doing his thing and in an unconventional way. David, I appreciate your time. Thanks for telling your story one-on-one, man. No problem. Thank you, Doc. Appreciate it. This is the Detroit Sports Podcast Network.